This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Bobak Hayeri. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. It's the off season, but there's always stuff to explore. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where we examine the paths to crown an ultimate survivor in each year's college football playoff championship. I'm Bob Akairi, flying solo again as my host Shahan Jayaraja enjoys the ups and downs of being a new father. You can find us on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show, where we have video highlights, run polls, and listen to your feedback. Please take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We enjoy your reviews. If they're interesting, we might even talk about them here on the show. One thing that's nice about the offseason is every single team in FBS is undefeated, all 134, and it's going to be 134. Welcome Kennesaw State, and you know the year after that, we'll welcome Delaware, and it'll be 135. Nearly anything is possible, though, of course, what's probable is more complicated. But for this episode, we're going to take a look at advanced statistics and analysis and how they can help guide us to examine teams, analyze results, uh, maybe make possible predictions or at the very least develop reasonable expectations as we head into next season, especially that it's the first year of the 12-team playoff where more teams than ever will have a shot at becoming the ultimate college football survivor. Now, I'm the first to tell you math is not entirely my forte. The last time I took arithmetic was was so long ago that I call it arithmetic, but I was I was junior in high school and I somehow made it through undergrad and graduate school without taking it. But despite that, that reluctance, I actually am really fascinated by numbers, especially when used to examine trends and kind of uh, deepen a story about what we're learning and what's in front of us. Therefore, I wanted to bring in an expert. Parker Fleming is a data scientist at Sumer Sports and a rising star in advanced statistics and analysis in college football. He has a must-follow account on X. It's at Stats Award, like Stats Award, like Man Award, Stats Award. I mean, I'm, I'm not joking. I really recommend checking out his account. He's known for his stats previews. He's also part of the Bet US College Football Show on YouTube. His personal site, CFB Graphs, CFB slash uh, dash graphs.com is absolutely worth a visit and a bookmark. Parker, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me so much. I, I was over here lamenting, as you mentioned, 134. I hadn't fully internalized that. I have really nice tables that are, um, you know, uh, seven seven rows of 19 teams, and now I've got a 30. I've got a, a 134th team, and so now it's not divisible by anything nice. I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my tables again. Oh man, and it's going to be 135 in 2025. So even it's it's literally just a stopover year. For it's like no, that random. No rest, no rest for the weary, man. I just keep just keep getting it with these teams added and messing up my tables. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. it. Reminds me of that that Simpsons joke where uh, where home where Apu's asked to identify a flag and he knows is it's like the the one time there's like a 37 stars on the flag and it's like that's an awkward time. But between these two states, like you know, so we're in that that weird time. We haven't reached the the total, I guess that we're inevitably going to get but you know just kind of the to because for the folks here who who are listening who may not be as familiar how first tell me how did you get into stats 
I'm just a nerd and that's how I kind of understand the world generally is just thinking about like quantifying stuff. I mean, you know, typical story of like in high school, I always like to like keep baseball scores and think about the numbers with that. Um, I would do like the sound booth at my church and like do the, I'd press the little button to make the PowerPoint go. And then when the, during the music, and then when the sermon happened, I was supposed to take attendance, but what I would do is like, how many people are in families? How many people are men? How many people are women? How many people are wearing blue shirts? How many people are wearing suits? How many people are, how many people put money in the, in the thing? Is it handed item and in, in the offering plate? So it wasn't like I was doing that for the church. I didn't show that to anyone who we weren't keeping tabs. I was just like, oh, let's literally slice and dice this population. So something always been interesting to me. And so obviously I went to college and studied religion. Uh, cause that's the, 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 what, what, what numbers lovers should do. Uh, so I've kind of been a liberal arts guy for a little bit and then, uh, just went back to grad school, wanted to do some of the harder stuff, took like seven math classes and four semesters, uh, while I got a master's and was super bored because it is objectively super boring. And football was really the way that I could kind of make sense of a lot of this stuff. Be like, Oh, we've got sequence of dependent events. We've got a lot of, you know, statistical tools we could do to this. So really, I just like to ask and answer interesting questions and, the numbers kind of uh, purview is is how I best interpret that or best think to to get answers that I want to know. You know, one quick follow up. I've always been curious for someone in your perspective, and you know, because I'm thinking of you know your your age range is is not all that younger than me. I'm I'm on the older side. I feel half the time, but uh, honestly, once you're past thirty, we're all the same age. Yeah, you know, exactly. I agree. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I'm going to go with that for the rest of my life. Don't you worry about that one. But uh, you know, how, how influential was Moneyball for someone like you? Um, did, did that influence you at all? Or is that just sort of something else that's out there? Are we in the nest? Uh, I never read Moneyball. Oh, Watched movie. Love the movie. Liked it a whole lot. Like baseball stats. Never yeah, actually. No, read no, I've only Moneyball. seen the movie. <laughs> um, so the ideas and the concepts and everything that's like related to it, certainly, uh, you know, that kind of idea thinking and all that, but like specifically Moneyball wasn't like a catalyst for me. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. I think it was a bigger life shift when I realized that Andy from Parks and Rec played Scott Hatterberg than actually watching the movie and like learning what they were doing. It was, you know, I love it. Um, you know, so kind of going from there, how do you explain advanced statistics um, when you wait to someone who asks what it's all about and how it how does it help us understand college football? Yeah, um, it, advanced statistics in college football don't even have to be advanced, right? They just have to be numbers. I mean. Football is a game of numbers, whether you want it to be or not. Hidden game of football, Virgil Carter, like for a long, long time, people who are very important and thinking about football have been using numbers to quantify things. And you need to know it. Teams have been charting, hey, how many yards do we get on this play? How many times do they run X play? Um, you know, how many times are we getting a big explosive play? When we're in short yardage and goal line situations, how well are we doing? Those are advanced stats and, uh, stats and teams use them a lot. Um, and those have been around and are, you know, conventional wisdom. So uh, advanced stats are really just starting to peel back the onion a little bit. And so the bis- biggest example of an advanced stat is broadly a definition I would say is it's a tool that helps us fill a need that a traditional stat or the eye test kind of fails at. So the perfect example, kind of the canonical, the, the workhorse stat for advanced stats for a lot of people is expected points added. And expected points added is a tool that helps us answer and reconcile a very easy question. You know this. I know this. Three yards on first and 10, not very good. Three yards on third and two, that's pretty great. And so what EPA does is just take yards, which is a stat we use, 
adds a little bit of context based on the history and the flow of the game and says, okay, how much did you increase the value of your current state? And what does that tell us about team quality? So it takes a stat like yards per play, which is informative, but noisy and strips away some of the noise and helps us understand better, you know, accounting for situation, how our teams performing, not just, you know, summing up and then dividing by the number of plays. So when you're trying to analyze, you know, an upcoming game, for example, um, how, how do you kind of take a route through stats, you know, from previous games? Is there, is there kind of a path you take with certain numbers? Is there, does everybody have, I mean, how uniform is that? Or does each statistician, each, each analyst kind of come up with their own sort of proprietary or special blend of stats and how they decide to approach a particular kind of prediction? Yeah, I mean, um, there, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. Um, and I think that that's, you know, there, there, there's a lot of ways to predict a football game. And I think that there's a, a continuum um, of, of people who are, we're, we're kind of moving on and I'm not, I'm not talking down or condescending to anyone uh, by, by calling them a casual. I'm saying the casual fan who's like, hey, I just want to drink a few beers and see the Bulldogs win. Me too, brother. Like, love that. Absolutely. But if we're talking about this from, you know, when I'm putting on my Monday through Thursday, generally, although some weeknight games, I'll have a beer en route. Uh, Monday through Thursday, I'm talking about, you know, analytically, what do I want to think about with these games? Uh, the continuum of, of kind of those people is like film watchers and then, you know, exact number nerds. And I like to live in the middle. It's kind of like the Chicago School of Economics talks about no theory without evidence, no evidence without theory. Right. And so I, I try to be that way with film and data. So, um, Generally, what I do is run the numbers and look at them. And I try to not look at this season. I really tried hard not to look at the Vegas spread. Um, and actually, halfway through the season, I don't know if you noticed, I, I pulled the Vegas spread, the consensus spread. I say Vegas because Vegas is not an entity um, off of my snap previews because I, I really wanted to say I want to interpret football based on my own terms. I want to know what my expectation is. I don't want to have this expectation of like, this is what Vegas says. And so that's that's going to color my perception. So I run the numbers, I look, and then based on what I've watched, I say like, hey, this is kind of interesting. Let me dive into this this one that doesn't really kind of gel with what I'm initially thinking. And that's where I'll go into like, okay, let's look at your run and pass splits and kind of how you're, you know, how those are going together. So I generate a single number, but um, a lot of it is a little bit more of a circuitous route where it's kind of saying, hey, I watched this team last week. I wonder how they're going to match up. Oh, that doesn't, mat that doesn't match my perspective. Maybe I can go watch some of this team's run game and kind of understand what they're doing that might help me understand why this matchup might play out like it is. Then obviously, of course, in college football, you've got to like – you got to be a hawk about injury news and kind of all that too. And there's no way to account for that modeling wise in any sort of reasoning, reasonable amount of time. So like, obviously you have to add that layer throughout the week as well to kind of understand a matchup. So um, I try to watch a little film, try to look at a little numbers and use those to kind of help each other uh, check, you know, uh, test my theories against, against the film and against the numbers to kind of get a better understanding of what's going to happen and whether I agree with the numbers. Sometimes I disagree with the numbers on the bet us show all the time. I'll be like, I don't trust it. Most of the time when I don't trust it, I'm wrong, which is good for my numbers, but bad for me. Um, but, but generally, I just like to have a reasonable starting point that is based on what I think is important in a football game. And, uh, and that helps me dive deeper into film and into stats to, to better understand the matchup. Does it change between, have you learned over time, like certain types of teams, you really shouldn't look at, you should emphasize certain numbers over others. I'm not saying like a specific program in general, but maybe styles of play or, or just kind of, do you start to notice kind of broader macro trends? Yeah, I think that like if I look at uh, where's like there's a, there's a really good example of this. 
Um, I look at I look at a couple stats because I'm I'm just like obsessed with the idea of selection, right? So there's this idea, there's a selection bias in when a team chooses to run and pass. And sometimes you see these huge splits in rushing and passing efficiency on offense or on defense. Um, and so, you know, I, I really have thought less of like, great, we have good efficiency here. Uh, a great, great example, Liberty. Okay, so I pull up Liberty versus Oregon, my stat preview that's there. Um, and uh, I have Liberty as the 10th best EPA per pass, expected points added per pass team, and the 33rd EPA per rush team. So I'm thinking, okay, they're a pretty amazing passing offense. But I look at this stat that I have called rush rate over expected, which says how often do you run the ball relative to an average team given the down, the distance, the situation, right? I'm not going to penalize you for rushing on third and one. But I want to say like, hey, early downs, are you, are you rushing a little bit more than average? What's your kind of style there? Well, Liberty is 123rd in rush rate over expected, meaning they, they rush 9.9 percentage points more than the average team. So super, super run heavy. So I see, hey, EPA per pass, very, very high. Passing volume, very, very low. They're super selective. If a team kind of stacks the box and forces them to pass, I actually think their volume is going to come down a little bit or their uh, efficiency is going to come down a little bit in the pass game. So it's almost like, you know, kind of sliders on a, on a mix board in front of you and figuring out, hey, how do I put these together to think about the plan? I also then like to look at like rush rate over expected against. I look at Oregon. Oregon's defense, sixth in EPA per pass, 34 in EPA per rush allowed. Well, Oregon is 14th last season in rush rate over expected against. So teams were passing a ton against them, 4.4% just points more than average. So that tells me about their efficiency as well. So where I kind of live is I want to know how you run, how you pass, how often you run, how often you pass, and then your splits between early and late down. So uh, a lot of times you'll see a college football team, Baylor in 2021, perfect example, Super bad on first and second down, and Jerry Bohannon just just absolutely bailed them out on third downs. Um, there's been TCU had you know Max Duggan is a good example of that. That that really doesn't translate a lot to playing a better team, and and uh, and so stuff like that really helps me kind of understand you know not only what do you want to do, but how often do you do it, and how good are you when you do it, and then I can look at how a defense does there, and then you start to put the puzzle pieces together. So over the the kind of course of a season, what are generally some of the uh, are there are there certain trends you look for um, when you're trying to analyze a team? And are there I mean, because we're talking about individual games, but you also try to look on a on a season long progress. You know, obviously early in the season, it's hard to maybe create any kind of model. But by about halfway through the season, do you start to do see themes or develop things that help you create a better predictive model for what might happen in the following game? Yeah, so there's there's a couple factors there. One, I'm way more confident about conference matchups than non-conference matchups, as is anyone who has a model, just because the the you know the the, the certainty uh, is going to be a lot higher when you have teams that have played each other a lot, and you kind of understand how they interact, and the network's a little bit tighter. Two, uh, in some research I've done and, and have yet to publish, although I did throw a graph on Twitter for the dopamine, um, the teams converge to kind of their season average when you adjust for opponent for about five games through the season, about halfway through the fifth game, you kind of know who they are. And so that's going to be your first or second conference game. You've got seven more games there and it's a little later than you would want. It, it kind of highlights the importance of preseason priors um, and saying, I've got to have some, some extra information about what a team's going to be. Cause early on there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of bouncing around and, and kind of what a team's going to be. But um, yeah, so, so uh, over the course of the season, I am looking at changes in, uh, how often you rush. 
I am looking at the difference between um, the, the stat I have echo rate. It's kind of like how often do you generate a quality possession, a drive where you're going to score more often than not. The average team scores more often than not. I look at the difference between echo rate and points per echo and saying like, how often are you creating these opportunities? And then how well are you capitalizing on them? And, and that kind of separation for teams does give me a lot of information about like, hey, you know, you're intercepting the ball seven times a game, but you can't score for anything. Like that's, I've got to mess with your defensive efficiency there to kind of better understand how you're going to interact with a, with a team. So the run pass rates, I'm not as um, concerned with, or the, the run pass efficiency, I just kind of let those be what they are. Um, and, and really focus more on kind of the differential between quality opportunities and, and how well you finish them. Uh, and then I also like to look at the difference between your EPA and your success rate, because if your expected points added is way outpacing your success rate, you're super explosive. If one of the, if your EPA is behind your success rate, then you're not explosive at all. And we know that like explosiveness is random a little bit, but better teams are going to get luckier with those explosives, I think is the way I'd frame that. So that's kind of another like, key indicator I, I keep tabs on of, you know, who's really got the juice this this season. You know, that's interesting too, because I mean, it makes me think about how teams get covered in the media in general. I'm not talking people like yourself who really kind of work stats into it and kind of use them to, uh, to sort of examine a narrative that may be lasting longer than it really should, given the evidence. How, how do you think generally the media can use things like advanced stats better in their reporting? Um, first off, I'll say there's a lot of people who do a great job who just take my stat preview and, and do a better job than I do with articulating it, which I love. I'm flattered by and, and think that's super cool. I just want to say over the because you and I, we've, we've known each other for a little while and I love seeing you appear in more and more plays. I think it's like last fall, I heard you on the top 25, uh, the podcast with, with Ralph Russo, a guy I admire a lot. And I was like, I was like, it's Barker. Oh yeah. You know? <laughs> so, uh, I, I got to do Ralph. I got to do Ralph's podcast twice mm-hmm. this, this last season. And both of them were like my favorite appearances ever. Cause one, it is a little bit like I'm, I'm nerdy and like, I listen to Ralph's podcast. And so being on that was super cool and, and the other guests and everything. Um, and, and yeah, it's just a lot of fun or like my, um, I, I, I we're, we're in a box here. I'm not like bragging about this. I'm factually saying the things that I've done, but like I went on, I went on Cole. Kublik so with him and Greg McElroy yeah. and like friends from high school in Memphis heard it on the radio and were like, awesome. Oh, cool, man. Like that's all. And so it's just kind of fun to, to get to do that stuff. And, um, but yeah, people who are using my stuff and, and putting it out there and, and interpreting it, but like, I love that there's a couple, um, couple of Boston college guys, a couple of Maryland guys. Uh, I think there's a, a Florida guy that always like DM me and they're like, Hey, here's what I'm going to say. Does this sound right? And I'm like, buddy, that's better than what I would come up with for, for interpreting this. You guys are spot on. That's, that's awesome. So I love seeing that. And and if you do use the previews, I, I would say um, tag me like that's super cool. I love seeing that. I love sharing that stuff. Um, overall, the question there that I totally lost track of was how can people use this stuff better? And I would say it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about, you know, no, no film without data and no data without film. So if I was a journalist uh, God forbid. But if I was a journalist and, and I was like, I'm a beat writer, I'm trying to preview this game and I want to use some stats, I would like write a draft of my story and go back and be like, okay, what was my claim? All right, Florida has a really good rushing offense, but they struggle passing. Do Is there a stat that backs it up? Is there something that could help me more than yards per play? And if it's different, can I like reconcile why, you know, oh, their aggregate stats are bad because they had a couple games where so-and-so was hurt. So I'm not as worried about that going into that matchup, you know, that domain knowledge that you have. But I would I would say 
that there are two ways that I would that I would kind of use numbers. I would either start entirely in film, write out some hypotheses, and then go to the numbers and back them up and test them and see, you know, can I explain why they're different? Do I need to challenge my assumptions? Or vice versa, I'd go get a reasonable starting point with the numbers and say, oh, damn, I actually thought that Virginia Tech was not was going to get beat by Boston College. Um, but this number has it predicted differently. What, what, what about the way they run? Could I like learn and look at and say, oh, okay, well, Boston College runs their quarterback a whole lot. So that's kind of different than what Virginia Tech has, has dealt with. And so that's going to be a different way that their efficiency is going to show. So you can kind of, you know, start from one point and work towards the middle. I think either way is, is really the, the, the best way um, to, to kind of use those numbers. Yeah, I know you, I've heard in previous conversations that like things like turnovers are really hard to account for. So if somebody really has a terrible day, it's like, you know, that must be a real hand ringer. <laughs> I basically like don't care about turnovers. I kind of am intentionally obtuse about it because I do just average field position mm. goes into my model. Oh, and so like if you're getting a lot of turnovers, your field position is going to reflect right, it. Right, right. But basically I'm kind of like if you're not getting turnovers consistently enough that your average starting field position accounts for like is inflated because of that, that's then I'm not really worried about mm. it. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Looking at the season that just was, how do you typically break down season stats? Like after season's done and you want to analyze how it went for whatever reason, what are what are kind of the do you kind of look at the a lot of these numbers you were just talking about, a lot of these uh, categories, or do you do you try to draw out even larger conclusions from what you've from what you've gathered? Yeah. So, I mean, back when I was grinding a little bit harder, frankly, and didn't have a full-time job and was able to procrastinate a little more in, in grad school and do some of that stuff, I'd go look at like, you know, second order expected wins and go through and be like, hey, my model projected this for this team. And I can go back through and be like, oh, okay, well, the quarterback tripped and and peed his pants. And so they, you know, they, they lost 14 points and okay, darn, that's why they lost that game. I can explain the difference. I felt good. Or like, oh, they had, you know, um, what was it like Charlotte FAU three years ago sticks in my mind because I had it as like a one score game and FAU beat the ever loving hell out of them. It was like Charlotte had the ball inside the 25, six times. It did nothing, just absolutely nothing with it. I'm like, okay. So my margin of error there was really, really bad, right? Like I was off. I was, I was very off, but in a sense, Charlotte had the opportunities and the rate that they finish at was not, you know, the average rate that they finished in that game. So you can explain some of those things and, or you can say like, Hey, I got that wrong. I need to figure that out. Um, what I do now is go look at point differential. I mean, like, I don't know if I have this in front of me right now, but like point differential is honestly pretty good, especially if you're just kind of mentally uh, adjusting. So I'll go look at point differential and record and that'll kind of be like, hey, who's weird here? And then I can go into, all right, let's go look at some advanced stats and figure out why they're, you know, why they're weird. So I try to be the whole season too. It's it's just really hard to make definitive conclusions just on numbers if you're not, you know, in and out of a team, covering a team, mm -hmm. um, because I can go back and be like, oh, okay, like, I don't know, was somebody hurt? And so they didn't run the ball for like three games. And so that's why this number looks really, really off. I, I also like to go back and just kind of test theories, like, um, you know, narratives that you hear, not even if, even if they're not mine per, per se, but like, oh, Grant Mertz actually kind of low-key got way better over the season. And I remember during the Utah game, I was like, eh, those were all garbage time. Like, they were down by three scores, and he was just chucking it, so he got better. I can go back and look and be like, oh, Grant Mertz actually got 
got pretty good over the course of the season. And so you can kind of look at some of those numbers like Florida's passing offense, which was, I could use cfbgraphs.com and say their, you know, their rushing offense was 55th. Their, their, their passing offense was 73rd. A lot of that was, you know, turnovers and, and some, some early season variants, but like you can go back and look at some of that stuff and say, Oh, I can, I can test these hypotheses to see how a guy did relative to my expectations. So as you know, season by season passes, um, do you find yourself sort of no, making adjustments to what you emphasize in in making this analysis? Because it kind of you know, eventually each year you'll get maybe an outlier or um, or some kind of you know squirrely numbers that you can just kind of write off as like, okay, that team is just weird this year. But overall, are there bigger trends that you start to notice that that cause you to kind of reevaluate how you analyze a season of a team, or is it very static? I have yet to encounter. I've made some tweaks with. EP, okay, so, well, all right, I have to be honest about this. I was going to say, I don't really change things very much. I changed the EPA model in season this year, um, but that was more of like a, it just wasn't processing well and I wanted to do better with it. So um, I'm not the, my EPA model, that's, that's a flavor that's not um, generic. So I, I don't know. I honestly, like I have my, you know, my quote unquote number against the closing line, but again, like Vegas is not a single thing and I did not bet every single game. I did not. So like, I don't care about my record there. I, I'm not going to publicize that or, you know, try to sell picks or whatever. I generally just like, hey, is this still a pretty good, reasonable approximation of the relative quality of teams that helps me to understand um, what what to look for in a matchup? And, and the answer has generally been yes. I don't like to change things and tinker too much year to year because I do like some stability just in sense of what I'm thinking of. And because this is still, you know, kind of, kind of a side thing for me. So I think there's absolutely a world where I could start worrying about decimal places and move away from a linear model and start doing some fancier stuff that I, you know, went to school for so many years to learn, but just, uh, I just haven't, the lift on it hasn't been that good. So I'm not going back through and saying like, Oh, I think that, you know, the changing trend and, passing efficiency is so big that now we have to do X, Y, and Z. Cause what you're likely doing in college football is overcompensating for a kind of a, a single season. Uh, I think that it's very easy to look at breakouts and not understand where they came from and assume that's some kind of general trend where it's actually just like, Oh no, Jamie Chadwell runs an absolutely what the hell offense had a relatively experienced quarterback who could put it together. And then no one knew what to do with it. But the first time anyone got two weeks of film on it, they, they, they beat them. And so you can, you can say like, Oh, okay. I don't know if I want to ingest entirely based off of, Oh, coastal Carolina is running this thing. Um, and, uh, or, or like, I don't know if you're changing your model every year, you're going to look at like the Mac is just going to ruin your life. You're like, <laughs> you're just going to look at Mac results every year and be like, what the hell is this? You're going to be like Charlie day at the, at the board, looking at the conspiracy and all the webs and yarn and being like, why isn't this working? And I, I just, Ah, I'm doing fine. I'll be all right. You know, so kind of looking at this exact, so looking at the 2023 season, what what were some of the things that that struck you? I mean, you don't have to go into in, intense detail, but were there there are moments there, are, especially with the season wrapped up, that you're you just they struck you? Maybe the, the system is your your uh, what you predicted or what you would have predicted kind of worked out, or things that just sort of went you know they were they were atypical. I mean, tell us. Yeah, again, in an ideal world, I'd be organized stuff. Be like, I had X, Y, and Z on, you know, I had I had X number on this team and I really, really nailed them. But I think that it's less about like, was I right or wrong? And more like what we can take away. And so I think about things like 
I'll start with Liberty. I mentioned them earlier, but like, I think about it's kind of, you know, to paraphrase like a George Costanza line, like I can't conceive of a situation where Liberty is going to lose a conference game um, like ever again. I just I just don't see how it's going to happen. Um, like uh, that's a great situation for Jamie Chadwell. They can recruit there. They're looking really, really good. Um, they were, you know, third in raw offensive EPA per play, second in rushing, uh, second in EPA per drop back when you don't adjust for opponent. I mean, just absolutely absurd volume. So that's something I think about in a trend looking forward in the, in the QSA. I'm like, oh, I don't even have to do any research this fall to know Liberty's probably at the top of the conference USA. Um, I look at some teams like Arizona and Washington um, who are kind of similar uh, but at different stages where uh, Arizona kind of had the year before the year. And Washington had the gear, but they both lose their coaches. In fact, they trade, you know, they switch coaches over there. Um, and, and how does that affect the development cycle? Like that's something I'm very passionate about in college football is it doesn't matter how much talent you have on your roster. It matters how much experience times talent you have on your roster. So how do I look at those teams? Uh, James Madison's another one where I'm like, hey, I think they could have taken, you know, again, another step, but they, they change coaches. What does that look like? Um, you ask questions looking at this and say like, hey, Texas. 40th in EPA per play on offense. We know their offense is really good. They had three, two, three games of Malik Murphy. Quinn Ewers lost his mind during the Oklahoma game and they lost that game. Uh, what does that tell me about like the variance of a team week to week and how predictive that's going to be to what I can expect? So that's, that's where I would go back and say like, not I'm going to change my model, but I'm going to change, hey, maybe I start adding error bars to my EPA graph where I can say like, oh, what's the, you know, what's the standard deviation one way or the other, just to understand how volatile is, is each team. You know, based on, you know, again, we're looking at making a reasonable prediction, not necessarily, we're not forecasting like Nostradamus or anything like that, but kind of heading into the upcoming season, are there are there things that 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 have sort of caught your eye or 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 teams whose numbers at least in this offseason seem to be lay, are based on kind of like what you were talking about with Washington and Arizona are there other teams that kind of have your attention that that seem like they're they're geared up maybe the uh, and they can be G5 I mean we talked about Liberty and and I think certainly there's a lot of arguments that can be made that yeah they're 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 overpowered for that particular conference in in many ways, but uh, and then when you put them against Oregon, suddenly it's a reality check tonight. But what have you noticed? I mean, I have no, they- I have no doubt Oregon would win the conference USA hardly. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's why. Hey, th- I one day I want to do a show on how other. Because it's so funny when you leave the United States, they still play college football. Japan has a uh, a promotion relegation model where the way you act, it is an automatic. The lower team has to play the higher team, and it's like the most high stakes postseason game in history. The you know the lower the the bottom of the division one is fighting for their position. And then usually the funny thing is I've now been paying attention since 2015. That team almost always gets back up because they just kill everybody at the lower division. So they're these 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 teams that ride that line between the two divisions in in the uh, the promotion and relegation because they can stay up. If you beat the lower division team in that relegation game, you stay. But um, anyway, that that I don't want to get into that stuff. But you know, kind of going back to this heading into next season, what are some of the things that that uh, what teams do you think have looked the strongest, at least from your models? Yes. So I will say I have not touched a single number about 2024 on purpose. I wait a little bit longer than than most people because I like to try to think about this with like 
again, I like to get a theory in my head before I just go to the numbers and let them tell that. And so like, I would actually say that I know Bill Conley tweeted about returning production coming out and I am fine to outsource that work to, to Bill and then use those numbers. Like that's, that's great. I don't have to do it. I kind of generally trust it. It's a fine baseline, but I would like beg people, especially not, not only if you're like a casual fan, but especially if you're like covering a conference, I would just implore you to do a power rating before those come out so that they aren't the only thing that's kind of dictating your thinking, those returning production numbers. Because I do feel like that is a lot of what's going on. It's a credit to Bill on the great work he's done because it is important. But a lot of people see, hey, high returning production. Oh, boom. That means that this is going to be a good team. And I'm saying just have a theory before that and then try to reconcile those two. And if it lines up entirely with returning production, great. That's wonderful. But just just put a pen to paper before you go and look at those you know, totally. How would you suggest someone do that kind of a ranking for themselves if they're trying to to kind of come up with a way to to gauge a conference? I've tweeted about this, and my friend Kyle and colleague on the Bet US show, Kyle Hunter, is is very much more of like a traditional sharp, old school Vegas guy, and he does a power rating that is like. Uh, I, I can retweet this too so people can see this, but it's like 15 points for a quarterback, 10 for running back, 15 for offensive line, 15 for wide receiver, you know, like point, like actual points. And he goes through and he uses stats and looks at them, but then he ranks. And then every week he looks at box scores and he adjusts them up and down. I think, especially for a conference, that's a really good exercise. I ended up doing that with the Big 12 last year and and they were they were pretty good. They weren't as good as my my numbers, my like model, but they were still a good idea to look at every facet of a team and kind of understand how I felt about that. So that's something there. I think also it's super useful just to say like, hey, what is their point margin in conference going to be? You know, like, what do I think, you know, what's the average Conference USA team going to be? Um, and then how much better are they going to be than that and kind of bring, you know, break break down the Conference USA that way. So that, that's how I would think about it is, is in conferences, especially if you're going to do anything by hand, I would, you know, uh, keep it keep it small there. But um that's that's where I would kind of start. Obviously, you want to look at the transfer portal, kind of coming back to your original question of like, who's going to be good? Well, I don't know, I don't know if the, your question wasn't who's going to be good. It's like, who has your eye? And so I think there's a couple like Ole Miss agglomerating a ridiculous amount of talent. They were pretty dang good last year. They're filling a lot of needs this year and they're being pretty aggressive. Can they do it? That's that's an open question. I think that's someone we have to be interested in. Um, absolutely. You look at Oregon. Uh, loses Bo Nix, but brings in Dylan Gabriel, arguably an upgrade with some of Dylan Gabriel's legs. If he can, you know, stay healthy and avoid taking hits, they have a ton of talent. They've got a quarterback pipeline kind of set up with Dante Moore going up there. Um, what, what is Dan Lanning, who, who is presumably kind of like the best coach, not in the Southeastern conference. That's kind of like the, the mantra or the, you know, the, the, the mantle that he holds. What does that look like um, for, for him going forward? Uh, other, other teams, I mean, Ohio state's going all in on the transfer port. Like they're, they're bringing in big, you know, they're spending some NIL money. Can Ryan day do that? I think those are three teams. Um, and, and not just cause they all start with an O, but Oregon, <laughs> Ole Miss and Ohio state where it's like, look, I know George is going to be good. That doesn't interest me. That's, you know, I, 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 I'm not super excited about that. I'm interested in these teams that are, you know, quote unquote, kind of outside right now. Can they do well? Can Steve Sarkeesian string together a full season and win? Like, what is that going to look like? They're going to go to the SEC. They're going to be playing, you know, presumably a little more physical. They lose a lot in the weapons department, even as they bring back Ewers and, and they lose a lot in the defensive interior that is super disruptive. How does that program kind of rebound from that? That's what I'm really interested in. The other thing I'll highlight, and I haven't totally decided where I've landed on this, but I'm looking for situations 
like Missouri. Missouri brought in Theo Weiss, right? Uh, for Luther Burden's sophomore year. And what they did was not made, they did not bring in a star wide receiver. They brought in a very talented wide receiver who understood what his role was going to be. And it entirely changed the gravity of their offense. It gave Brady Cook so much freedom that you, you or I could have, could have sat back there and had a you know moderately productive offense with what Missouri was putting together. They have a lot of continuity. They brought in a great transfer. I'm interested in that fit. I don't think Missouri is a top 10 team to start the season. I don't think they're going to finish a top 10 team um, just, just with a little bit of regression and looking at schedule and everything. I, I think they're good. I think they're building really, really well. But I, I, I'm interested in who's going to be the impact transfer that is going to change the gravity of a team in such a way that they unlock kind of a next dimension. Is it going to be Evan Stewart? I don't know. Is Jonathan Smith at Michigan State going to be able to hit the ground running with Childs and figuring out kind of how they're going to build up there? I think those are interesting questions, which, you know, in a landscape of college football that's increasingly about the top six teams playing in NFL stadiums, uh, you know, on, on weeknights, can we look at some of these teams around the country and say, um, Am I more interested in that? Jeff Jeff Trailer kind of falls in the Dan Lanning camp of, hey, you're really good. You're really well respected. You know, one of the better G5 coaches. You're losing a lot. You're losing your quarterback. And how, how do you respond to that? How do you move forward? That's another team I have my eye on as I'm starting to do some research and think about that for this fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's hard not to to think of the the losses at TCU that kind of going from that that runner up season to to this this past one. Um, you know, I want to respect your time, Parker. I really appreciate you taking some time to, to come and talk to us. I know it's a little bit late when we're recording this. And um, you're also the father. You're father, too. And young kids, I, I've been there. I, uh, my kids are older now. We are just talking about that before the show. It's like I've, got, I've reached a point where I can kind of trust my kids to just be in the house and, like, run the, run the system. But, like, until you reach that point. My goodness, it's. <laughs> I don't. It's, yeah, I don't think. I don't think we're quite there. No, not, not, not quite. Not quite. You know, before we take off, can you tell us a little bit about the work you do for Sumer Sports? Oh yeah, yeah. So that is kind of, um, in, in a way, like entirely divorced from my college football stuff right now, which is cool. I, you know, I'm working on a lot of uh, NFL stuff for them. So Sumer Sports is um, um, awesome. It's. Uh, Thomas Dimitrov is our, is our CEO. He is former GM of the Falcons drafted Matt Ryan. Um, and what we're doing is putting together a suite of software tools, strategies, recommendations for teams to, um, evaluate talent, uh, and make decisions about assembling that talent because it's really easy to say, Hey, these guys are good. And these guys are bad, right? That's a pretty easy problem to look at. Generally, what we're trying to do is say one at the margin, can we differentiate a kind of good from a kind of bad player? And two, can we account for the way your roster is built in such a way to help you make strategic monetary decisions, but also strategic personnel decisions to kind of maximize your ceiling. And, um, so super, super cool stuff that we're doing ramping up, obviously, because it's the draft. Um, and, and we've got some cool kind of behind the scenes stuff as well, just using analytics, uh, to help teams be better informed about what they are doing and what they want to do and how they can kind of make those things meet, uh, and kind of achieve their goals. So a lot of fun. I work on a team with a bunch of super smart people. Um, I'm a terrible data scientist because I'm an economist, so I'm learning things every, every day, but we're going to do fun modeling real world stuff, looking at players and evaluating them. Um, and, uh, 
and hopefully that'll get seen by the world right now, just getting seen by teams. And that's, that's not bad, but uh, hopefully a lot of that will get seen by the world sooner rather than later. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and doing some great work with some really smart people over there and uh, just kind of, this is year, year one and a half, maybe year two. Um, and so we did one draft last year and got some more teams and doing another draft this year and, and just kind of building up. So it's a lot of fun. Um, my job is football data scientist, which is like an absolute joke. If you told me in middle school that that's what I was going to do, uh, I would not have believed you. So that like, sounds like a dream job. And it's uh, it's been really great and really fortunate to be there. But um, yeah, super cool. You can check us out on Twitter, supersports.com. Also, if you like my college stats previews uh, through the work of my colleague, uh, Tej Seth, and a, and a couple others behind the scenes, um, they've adapted those for the NFL. And so we have those live on sumersports.com as well. I do believe that we had them for the, the championship games. I think we've got a Super Bowl one uh, out or live soon over at Sumer Sports. So all of the echo stats that you like, the EPA, all that stuff. And uh, it's not just me screenshotting out of my computer. It is, uh, we have a designer. It looks really cool on the website. So check that out at sumersports.com. I love it. That sounds awesome. Well, folks, again, I want to emphasize, um, in addition to his, his data scientist role at Sumer Sports, please check out Parker's Twitter account, his X account, at Stats of War, Stats of War, as well as uh, his site, CFB Graphs, CFB-Graphs.com. And of course, you can see him on the Bet US College Football Show on YouTube. Parker, thanks so much for joining us, man. It's been great talking to you again. Yeah, always, always enjoy it. I feel like this is the, the, the second or third, uh, maybe, maybe the fourth time that we've gotten to hang out. And I really appreciate you having me on and, and enjoy talking and letting me ramble a little bit. And man, football's getting getting closer a little bit, uh, a little bit more every day. I'm excited about it. Absolutely. I get excited listening to you. I love your energy and all of this. It, it, it feeds it, it feeds around you. And, I, and that's definitely something I've noticed from the beginning. Well, as we wrap this up, I just wanted to take a second to thank all of you who've been listening. I wanted to thank my producer, Joey Alliberti. And when you get a chance, if you could, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us, again, on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show. Shayan Jayaraja is my usual co-host. We wish him well and in his new fatherhood. And you can see his work at CBSSports.com and at Shayan Jayaraja on X and TikTok. I'm Bobby Kairi. You can... Find me as part of RCFB and wherever else. But on behalf of all of us, have a great one. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.